0: I miss a green for example I'm already upset when I find my ball in the bunker I'm really upset and when I find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg, fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course
1: Welcome back to another edition of the friday Podcast. Today's episode is with Joe Ogilvy. I was super excited about this podcast. Uh, Joe is uh, now in private equity, but before that, he was uh, a longtime PGA Tour player. Has a win to his uh, record, although he dismisses it as a uh, as an opposite field event event win. Uh, it's a big accomplishment, but he. Served on the Player Advisory Council as well as the Policy Board. So I was super keen to chat with him about the changes to the PGA Tour that were announced last week. Um, He had some thoughts. He put them out on Twitter, um, and, and we discussed kind of what's been going on in professional golf from a structure and business standpoint in great detail here. I would highly recommend following him on Twitter. Uh, Great Twitter follow and uh, has some really good thoughts on the professional game. I was going to do an intro here, but uh, the podcast kind of ran long, so we'll just get right into the interview here with Joe. All right, I got to ask, you are one year into the uh, post-Coast-K era, how how are we uh, feeling about Duke basketball these days? You
0: know, I think we're on the upswing. It, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I wish we could play every game in the playoffs or in, the, in March Madness at home, because I think we're undefeated at home this year. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're struggling on the road. But John Shire, I mean, it, you know, it's an impossibility to go in and, and replace Mike Krzyzewski. But I mean, he's done it really good job and i think those kids that are playing for them i mean they i think they like basketball they like playing at duke and as a fan and a season ticket holder that's uh that's what you want to see
1: yeah it's uh i still got to get to a game uh there that's on my like bucket list of things to do is uh, a game at cameron and uh you know i'm not a, I'm not a duke fan but i'm i'm not a duke hater i'm kind of somewhere in the middle which is which is probably a rare rare place for a basketball fan to be but uh John Shire being a Chicago suburbs guy, I uh, kind of got a passing interest in in his success.
0: Yeah, well you're Im- you're invited and I think we're going to end up be- redoing the Duke University Golf Club soon so you can uh we we can make it a uh two birds with one stone trip. You can go to the Duke game inside of Cameron you can tour the Duke University Golf Club so.
1: Oh, look uh, at that. be good. Got, got a yeah. winter plan in in a in a coming year. <laughs> So I, I was uh I was excited that you wanted to do this. Um, obviously you had a uh, a long playing career on the PGA Tour, but what interests me the most was that you were uh, a member of the pack as well as the policy board on the PGA Tour. And obviously we have a lot of change going on with golf and men's professional golf right now. I feel like we're we're at a, a, a inflection point in the game of golf, and uh, I wanted to to start with your expertise on. How do decisions get made on the PGA Tour? Well, I think
0: a while ago it was, you know, it kind of comes down from Panavida. I mean, Panavida listens to, you know, they have their they have a pretty good pulse on what the players are thinking and 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 how the players are thinking in terms of okay, <laughs> this is what the guys are bitching at the most and how do we solve for that and if it's solvable, right? Um Back then, it was really interesting in a sense that you didn't have well, you didn't have this thing called live golf, so you didn't have competition necessarily. What we had though was we had how do we get the best players in the world to all come to our tour and you know we also had a guy named Tiger Woods that helped that that he helped t v he helped you know crowds he helped everything, and so it was just this wave, and it was really an unfair fight. I mean when you have Tiger, you have all the eyeballs globally and Dollars chased that. um, And quite frankly, the best players in the world chased that because they wanted to play against the best and they they wanted to play in the same tournament the Tiger did. So, Pontevedra kind of, you know, Tim Fincham was commissioner the vast majority of time, uh, well, the whole time that I was there. And so he had this giant wave at his back. And it wasn't so much, um, we were dealing with little things. You know, the FedEx Cuff was was born during my tenure. And, and, And what you're trying to do is, people forget that the PGA tour, they do not own or benefit from television in the five largest events in our sport. So they don't, they don't own or or benefit from the masters. You all benefit because it's golf, but not financially. So the masters, the PGA championship, the U S open, the open championship and the Ryder cup. I think they still get 20% of the, of the U S based television rights of the Ryder cup. So, you know, the whole point of the pack and the board was, okay, how do you create these tournaments so the best players in the world play and you could sell it to TV? I mean, that's, so that's why the FedEx Cup was there. That's why the World Golf Championships were spun up. And so that, that was kind of the base. And then what the pack and the uh, policy board was dealing with, well, when I was there, we were dealing with the financial crisis, but otherwise it's just little things. I mean, you know, tweaking the pension, tweaking the, um some eligibility we were dealing with golf ball spin and things like that when i was on the pack you know um and you know this this kind of push and pull with the usga and the governing bodies but but otherwise i mean it wasn't as nearly as interesting as it is right now i mean this is you know for for pundits and 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 bloggers and and podcasters i mean this is like red meat for the golfer's soul it's it's the greatest it's the greatest time to ever to be in this business and to think about it right? and to love golf because it's it's really an interesting time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I find it fascinating just like as you were talking, like the arc of the PGA tour, right? When you're there the early 2000s, really through the early 2010s, the tour's objective was to become the the Goliath, the, the big, you know, kind of the bull in the China shop where all the top players play and seemingly they, they achieve this by, by the end of the 2010s, you know, this is the only place if you're a top player to play. Like, obviously there are a few exceptions that just don't like the life on the PGA tour and want to play in Europe. But for the most part, everybody has come to this. So they become, they achieve what they, you know, probably set out to do over 20 years. And then this rival league comes in and kind of, I I think drastically shifts the whole marketplace for golf. And it it's a fascinating you know situation in the sense of like you put together a business plan, you put together your twenty year plan, and you you go out and you do it, and then all of a sudden something comes and, and turns the whole world of golf on its head.
0: Yeah, and I would also layer in. I mean, it's really interesting. It took the PGA Tour. No, I I, I don't. I don't know this, but I'm just knowing how the world rankings work. It took the PGA Tour a long time to get the world rankings tweaked. They were trying to get the world rankings tweaked before Live Golf even came around, right? And now all of a sudden you layer in that world golfing, world golf ranking tweak. And I mean, you, yeah, yeah, you basically have to play the PGA Tour. I mean, I was looking at the, um, and I'm not coming up with his name right now, but there's a Japanese player that won four or five times last year on the Japanese Tour. He, he's not moving up. I mean, he moved up until the world ranking changed, and then there's this. It's it's almost like a there's a ceiling there. So you've got this live golf. You got the official world golf ranking, and I mean, it's it's a, it's it's been a cataclysmic change in the golf world, and especially the professional golf world.
1: And so, world ranking changes do take a lot of time. Just. <laughs> That's uh, that yeah. might be news to <laughs> so um,
0: and, and and I think they're gonna i think they're gonna take even longer um you know right or wrong <laughs> um
1: so just to zoom out a little bit before we get into kind of the nitty gritty of what's going on right now i I'd love I I know a little bit more but I'm not really like super aware of like all the differences. What's the difference like we hear like these thrown out, the policy board members and PAC members? What's the difference between the PGA Tour policy board and the Player Advisory Commission, the PAC?
0: Yeah, so the Player Advisory Council is 16 players. And they and they go so here's what they do. They they kind of break them down based on points list or money list. So it's represented by the top, let's say the top 20 20 through 40 40 through 60 60 through so you, you the idea is you get 16 guys that are kind of a broad base representation of the PGA tour and with those 16 guys usually every year there's a policy board member so there's i guess there's five policy board members now that are represented by the players back then it was only four and those five guys there's normally one person dropping out some years there's two but usually there's one and of the 16 PAC members, those guys are, you know, they can elect to run for the policy board. And if they run for the policy board, there's normally two or three people that 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 are running. And when I say running, they just say, look, I'm I'm willing to serve on the board. And it's a three, it's a three-year term with a one-year observation year. And so you're observer observer on the board, but you're not actually a voting member of the board. And so you know, out of those sixteen guys, one one will serve as, as pack chairman. That pack chairman will eventually go with the policy board that following year. And it's been interesting how it's how it's evolved. I mean, we always had, you know, good players or very good players. I mean, when I was there, I think they, Davis Love was a perennial member of the policy board. He and Finchin were extremely close. And you have David Toms, you had Scott McCarron, and you've got the guys that are playing the champions tour now. But you never had I mean Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson are, are those type of guys, the guys that were True needle movers would would I mean they wouldn't have been cut dead on the policy board. They just didn't want to waste their time. And to see guys like Jordan Spieth and and uh, Kent Lay and and Rory McElroy and and these guys on the policy board uh, and even the pack. I mean Justin Thomas is in the pack. Uh, Adam Scott's now. It, it's it's kind of amazing how that's evolved. I mean the best players and in the, in the needle movers are, are now serving on that policy board. It's it's a lot of time, especially now. I mean I can't imagine. It's incredible. It's incredible what Rory McElroy's done over the last 12 months because he's basically, it seems like he's burdened by all this, right? I mean, he's, he's, um, Jay Monahan's kind of given him the, 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 microphone and said, look, I think you speak better than me. You go talk, you go sell it and you go talk. Um, and, and Rory's done an amazing job.
1: You're making me feel bad because I just, you know, I just went on a rant on our other podcast about how I think that this might all be like a great distraction for Rory and the way his mind bra- works. Like he might need distractions in order to play his best golf.
0: Well, he may, and it'd be very ironic if he gets the fourth leg of the Grand Slam this year when he's had all this noise in his head and and it's kind of distracted him from, you know you know, I guess his ultimate goal. So it, it, look, your point is well taken. Um, everybody reacts to certain things differently, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things going on in his head and it's, 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 it's amazing what's, what's gone on. He, he's impressive to me.
1: It's, it is fascinating. I, I think like, obviously one of the things that happens and, and I, I was, you know, in our company Slack, I was talking about this is like, you know, Rory only did five questions at the players, you know, for the, uh, for the press. And it's like, well he's he's spoken like four of the last five weeks at these at these new designated events like yeah, every every, yeah, yeah. every week he's there he has to talk for an hour you know it's like how much you know just you know how many press conferences can one guy do
0: Yeah and 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 um you know he he is he's very thoughtful you can tell uh, he's given a lot of th- he's given a lot of thought to this and you know he's been on it both on the side of um you could tell that he and Tiger have been talking a lot and it's uh yeah, I mean, wh- whether you agree with some of the stuff he says or not, um, he's certainly given it a lot of thought, and and I think that uh, you know that's that's all you can ask for as a player is is that look, I want I want my representatives to at least think about this and try to think about this from both sides. You, you know, the question is, does it go too far, and and, and that and you try to strike that balance.
1: All right. So during your tenure, I'd I'd love for you to give us an example of a great decision you guys made as, as a leadership and how it got made. And then also a terrible decision that was made and like, just kind of like how, how these things come to be. I think people would love to understand just like how, how effectively like a law on the PGA tour is ratified.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So, well, I mean, it, it, this is kind of, so we, we approved the FedEx cup, I think while I was on the board, that might be right or might be wrong, or at least it was being approved when I went on. I forget the FedEx Cup started maybe two thousand six or two thousand six, two thousand
1: six to two thousand eight is you know if we say just the general range.
0: Yeah, I was on the board then. It, What's well, really interesting, and it, so we did that and we created this thing, and and I think it's worked. I mean, you know, some obviously it's been tweaked and the and the numbers have been tweaked and the points have been tweaked, and you know, I think the good news is the FedEx Cup was born and that was that was a really good thing it was good good for the players it was good for the television partners and, and and you know i think it was good for the fans i mean this this season long it replaced the money list i think that at the time there that was very controversial what we didn't get right was the points list right? When you, we had too much, vo, you know, when you made the cut in the first, we were trying to get that everybody played that first event. Back then there was four, right? Or the first year it was four. And we had this crazy, if you make the cut, you get 2000 extra points. If you missed the cut, you, you didn't get any points. And so all of a sudden your volatility was like, <laughs> you, you could finish seventieth on the money list or points list and go to like and miss miss out on the next next deal i mean it was um it was really weird, and so I think we got that right and we we didn't get the the points right but we p j tor will iterate and that that was my point the other day on twitter is that you're, th- this will not be the last iteration of the designated events i mean they are going to be tweaked and they are the churning is going to you know there's not going to be as much churn as as they advertised um they will they will change it They will change the points. They will change the incentives, and they will change everything. But back then, the FedEx Cup was like, "Look, we've got to get more money to the stars, the Tiger Woods, the Phil Mickelsons, and those type of guys." And so that's why you had this. You know, I think it was a ten million dollar payout at the end. And you know, I I remember talking to Tiger in two thousand. I forget what it was, and he said, "Hey, look, I want I want the money. I don't want it deferred." And I go, "Tiger, that's the only thing." that I will not listen to you at because, you know, I'm I'm here to protect you and wanting the money up front as opposed to deferring the money is a really that's not the greatest idea that you've had. But everything else on the boardroom, I'm gonna listen to 100 percent you have to say because you're the ultimate needle dude.
1: Explain the deferred money versus the upfront just for
0: Well think about it like this. If I if I win, let's say I win ten million dollars tomorrow, I'm paying taxes, you know, the top tax rate if I'm in a if I'm in California or New York or whatever, I'm basically paying 52% of that money. It's going to go out the window. So I get, you know, let's call it 4.8 million after tax. But if I can defer it and I can defer it for a very, very long time, you know, let's say I win it when I'm 20 years old and I can defer it until I'm 45. So when you're a PGA tour player and you no longer play 15 events and it's FedEx cup money, you have to take that money starting. Well, If you turn 45 before April 1st of the year you turn 45, you start taking it that year. If you turn 45 after April 1st, you you can defer it one more year. So let's say I make, let's say I'm Tom Kim. I'm 21 years old. I win, you know, $10 million. This is 10 years ago. It's no longer deferred. Um, I can defer that basically for 25 years and 25 years at 9.6%. Will get you ten million turns into a hundred million, and so now I'm paying taxes on a hundred million as opposed to ten million. Now, granted, the marshmallow's out there, right? I mean, it's the it's the ultimate marshmallow test. I, I I'm going to defer that, so I'm going to get my second marshmallow. I like the second marshmallow, and I like deferred, and everybody, every smart person likes deferred.
1: It's interesting, right? It's uh, that's like the idea of protecting you. So really, like, I mean, I think this whole whole saga can be encapsulated by the problem the FedEx Cup went out to solve right from the very get go, which is yeah the idea of trying to get funnel more money to the top players of the sport yeah
0: yeah yeah that's right and, and, and what's what's interesting and, and you know I' throw another nuance on there is that the biggest money in the sport I mean pj Tour is is huge 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 money, but you know it you know, I, I've been saying this for 15 years is that the, where you get a breakdown is are the majors, right? The majors, the big guys are playing for somewhere around 3 to 5% of the revenue. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really, really low. And, you know, I always thought that the PGA Tour and the majors need to sit down. And, and now you have that chance, right? Because it's the first time that the players have all been kind of unified. I mean, even the live players are, are unified on this is that, hey, look, this is... There's a lot of people making a lot of money, um, and we, we we need to make even more money. Uh, and and so, you know, you can make an argument that the PGA Tour should benefit a little bit more. I mean, if we're supply or the PGA Tour is supplying all the best players in the world, maybe there should be a little little bit more of a quid pro quo there. Um, certainly, the Ryder Cup. I mean, Ryder Cup needs to be changed, but um, the economics of it. But I I, I think that you know. Yeah, it it it's it, they're all trying to get to the you know, they're all trying to get more money to the best players and and um you know the formula is that's what everybody's debating right now.
1: That uh, the major statistic is is jarring when you consider like other sports leagues what is the is, is the splits around like 50% to players Yeah, for,
0: 40 46 to 50 46 to 53 something like that yeah so so
1: that's like you know revenue back to players 40 50% roughly and say the nba and then versus you know the big events in golf it's 3 to 5
0: yeah and and, and, and you know that is um, you know probably closer to 5 than 3 um, we don't know everybody's. We don't know everybody's. I think the, revenue, the masters,
1: but, obviously, we don't know, which could be just like, I like every yeah, time I'm on yeah. the grounds at Augusta, all I think about is like, oh my God, they're making so much money.
0: And, and, and you know what? And they, they make so much money because they deserve it because they don't try to make money. I mean, they, yeah, everything, they, they don't gouge. They don't do it. It's It's one of those great case studies is, you know, Warren Buffett talks about how, you know, why give the someone asked him why are you giving the secrets of great investment he goes because no one will listen um no one will actually do what i do because they they, they don't want to get rich slowly they want to get rich like you know i think his partner charlie munger said that everybody wants to, to be me they just want to get rich faster um the, the same t-
1: deferred the deferred uh, money thing it's the same yeah, thing.
0: it's the marshmallow test. I mean, it's the ultimate marshmallow test, and the Masters has done a better job than everybody. I mean, I, I saw a PJ championship. Someone had a screenshot of they're charging eighteen dollars for a beer last year in Tulsa or something crazy like that. Like that is that is just a giant I mean, it's a giant finger to the fans. Um, not that you have to drink beer, but I think bottled water was like nine dollars or something like that. Like, you know, come on. These are these are your these these are the people you're trying to to hook into golf and um, I mean, I'm kind of cheap, so I, I, $18 for a beer is just offensive to me.
1: As I always say, like the masters does this, the other, um, good juxtaposition is like Kaiser golf resorts, you know, like the Kaisers, yeah. Yeah. they charge like $3 for a beer. And then you go to stream song and you're in the middle of nowhere, Florida, and they're charging you $9 for a 12 a ounce bottle of Miller light. And you're like, wait a second. This costs you like 25 cents.
0: Yeah. Like I would, ra- this is really weird, but I would rather them charge me $50 more from a round and yes. charge me a dollar for a bottle of water. Right. As opposed to six. And, and, you know, I played stream song and they charged me, I don't know, it was like $7 for a Gatorade. And I was like, no, don't do this or something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it is very interesting. It's, um, but the Masters does it well, and there's a reason why it's the best tournament in the world.
1: With the idea of of players being underpaid, and this being kind of like this has been at the top of the PGA Tour's mind and and policies, you know, for the last effectively 25 years, really, um, you right. know, since Tiger Woods came on the scene. Uh, what what do you take away from the last 18 months of professional golf? Like, what are your big kind of thoughts on that? You
0: know, I've, I've given this a lot of thought. I don't, I don't know if I've, I've, I've kind of – I don't know if it's marinated to the right sauce yet, so to speak. But I, I think that the best players and, and the ultimate needle movers are always going to be underpaid, right? I mean, think about it like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, I mean, he got rich off of Apple. But, I mean, you could make an argument that Steve Jobs probably made Apple and its shareholders, I mean, a trillion dollars. And Steve, Steve Jobs actually got richer off Pixar than he did Apple, right? So you're never going to be able to pay Tiger Woods enough money for all the value he created. So as a tour and whether it's a tour or it's a major or it's a whatever, what you're trying to do is you're trying to provide the biggest and best platform to showcase your players and the stars will always rise, right? But in my opinion, the PGA tour is built to to provide that platform and to to provide the biggest and greatest platform there are because the players are going to make money on the golf course and they're going to make a lot of money off the golf course. And I think that that's the thing that that's really interesting is that, you know, a lot of these guys can almost make more money off the golf course than they can on the golf course. Although it's getting, (laughs) it's getting to the point now, certainly Tiger can. And certainly I think Rory can Jordan Spieth probably can. But you're, you're getting now where you're making more money. I mean, it's more like a professional, sp- a normal professional sport. And you look at the guys who really transcended their sport and made more money off, off the court than on the court. I mean, you're, you're basically talking about the ultimate needle movers. You're talking about Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Um, LeBron. You know, those guys. And there aren't many of those guys in golf, right? You've got Tiger Woods. you got Jack Nicholas, You've got Arnold Palmer. And very few guys have have, have sustained excellence and have been part of the, call it the, you know, the the, the public, that are publicly noticeable after their best playing days are over. And and certainly those three guys, you know, you might throw Gary Player in there, um, although it seems like his family has more... (laughs) Has more uh he's created more of a problem than anybody but um you, you just have very 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 few guys that are able to transcend the sport and you know so that's in my opinion the 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 thing that the pga tour needs to do the most of all and this is all decisions are based on how do we elevate this platform and how do we elevate the platform so the guys can show off their skills the fans can love it the fans can have a great experience and um you know, I think everything else takes care of itself.
1: To me, it seems listening to you is that this this whole movement that we've seen, kind of like I, I would say, accelerated was brewing underneath the PGA Tour for a long time, and then Liv came along and really just like kind of like put it into hyperdrive. Is it? Would do you say that's a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, and and I think you know I I made the comment, and and granted, I was a very mediocre. Great player, <laughs> you know. I think that anybody that gets on the PGA tour is a great player, right? Um, I mean, a great player. And you know, but my career, fifteen years, I was I was well on the way. I mean, I was dead square into the journeyman. You know, you've you've got a lot of tour careers are kind of like Roman candles, and my Roman candle got to about you know forty fifth in the world at the highest point, and you know came back came back ground. I had I had five good years, really good years. I mean, really good years for me, and. You know, what what live did was it gave the PGA Tour a gift to be able to make changes that they never could make before, because I mean, it's a membership organization. So when you have a membership organization, you have members and you have you have the haves and the have nots or you have the guys that are 199th on the money list. And and you have Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy's and Jordan Spice and John Rahm's. So you, you, you always had to balance those two things. But when Liv came around and you had, now all of a sudden you had competition and there was a movement by the PJ Tour policy board and, you know, all the players that, that remained on tour. We have to do something to counterbalance this threat. And as soon as that happened, you could do things that you would never dream of doing, right? You go to, you go to a calendar year schedule, which probably needed to be done. You could kind of take out some of the bloat of the schedule. I mean, you know, we're the only, we're the only sport that ran from, you know, call it as soon as the season was finished. We had a tournament the next week.
1: Um, and a FedEx and a FedEx cup standings update.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it was like, huh? I mean, it was a never ending story. And, and, you know, just because there's an old saying, um, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And, you know, I, I think that that bloat, I mean, European tour is a perfect example. I mean, you, you've got, or the DP world tour, you've got a really, really wealthy continent. And they're, I mean, they went to all these different far flung places and their, their, um, you know their schedule kind of got saturated. And it wasn't, you know, you didn't have the consistent quality. And so all of a sudden, and the money went down. And so instead of having great tournaments and that should be your North Star, they kind of just settled for anything. And I think that um you know the PGA Tour kind of did that. They're like, look, we've got we got all these sponsors, they wanna do it. Obviously there's a great economy, we're gonna go ahead and, and have all these fall events and we're gonna have all these opposite tour events and we're gonna have as many tournaments as we can possibly have, regardless of the of the of the quality. Now they're all they're all they're all fine tournaments, but you know, again, just because you what you wanna do, it's the old Peter Uberoth model with the Olympics. I mean, the Olympics used to have you know, five or six hundred sponsors. And he said, Why don't we have why don't we have six flagship sponsors and and really, you know, really be focused, laser focused, and providing quality to our sponsors and our partners and really elevate the Olympics from a US standpoint. And I think that that sort of philosophy resonates to me. I mean, have a season January to September first where we are providing the ultimate and it's a true season you got the playoffs at the end or whatever you want to call the FedEx Cup you got the majors in the middle which no other no other sport has right i mean you think about golf we have something in the middle of the season or during the season these these four tournaments and five if you count the players that are really special events that no other sport has so if you have a season that's condensed january to september and you have these Five events, and then you have elevated and you know, all that kind of stuff. You you have a, a really really good platform to present to the to the fans, and and that's a story that I don't think that golf is really told. I mean, it's just kind of out there, and us as golf fans see it, but no other sport has this, right? I mean, everybody's trying to figure out. Oh, we got the All Star Game. All Star Games are disasters. Well, um, like
1: the NBA is talking about a middle of the season tournament. And how do we create a tournament that has stakes? And it's like, it is, I haven't ever thought about it this way, but like, you know, the peak of engagement for every other sport is the end of the season. Like, you know, like we're right in March Madness, like college basketball peak engagement is in two weeks, you know? And from there it declines and like every sports that way, except for golf.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, and you think about what we do, I say we. I, I still put myself we as the PJ yeah, Tour. You can, you can but, do that. Um,
1: you're a, you're a member, right? You're still a, a member. member I'm still a member, right? Yeah, I
0: still got. I still have a. I still have a card. Um, I still get parking. That's that's the key thing. But but you know, you think about what we do as a sport, and I mean, we had Champions Tour events during the FedEx Cup playoffs. I mean, you know, there's no other there's no other organization that wouldn't <laughs> clear the decks for your flagship events, and we're like, oh yeah, let's just let's just muddy the waters here and let's, you know, just kind of muddle the the message. And it's, you know, I kind of look at Pata sometimes and I'm like, Oh my God, it, it's like an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's, you've got such a wonderful business and such a great platform for these guys, but you, you just, it, it's so good that you can just, you, you can almost bastardize it at times. And, you know, I think that that's, 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 that's why I've always had a heavy dose of skepticism. I'm like, come on, guys, let's let's think through this a little bit easier. Just because you can doesn't mean you should.
1: Well, like going back to an earlier conversation point, the perfect example of just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't is Augusta National, and it's the greatest golf tournament of the year because they could do so much other stuff, but they don't. You know, it's lim- like what you said, limited sponsors. Like, you know, you want you want in to commercialize this. Like, we've got. I think it, what is it, four spots effectively? Yeah. Three or four spots. Yeah. Like, if you're not one of them, you're out, you know, and the whole thing, like, you know, you start to think about, like, what's the most powerful organization in golf? And, like, Augusta National, this, like, this small country club, you know, it's small in membership, is probably like top three most powerful organization in golf. And it's, and they have a tournament, you know, now they have two tournaments a year. And it's just it's a wild situation. Like, I mean, they moved women's major championships, like the women's tour accommodated them because they decided when they wanted to have the ANWA and that like shifted the A&A, you know, and it's or the Chevron now, you know, it's it's a wild situation. But like, they're the perfect example of like, sometimes less is more. And I think like you hit on like with the PGA Tour, I think live, you know, if you Zoom out. This the last couple of years have been. It's been like there have been some dark times for for the PGA Tour. There have been some ups and downs. But when we look back, probably thirty years from now, you're going to look at Live and in, in some cases and maybe think that that was the best thing that happened to the tour because it forced them to not have to not do everything they can do. Right?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know, you talk to board members, and I've talked to a couple, and they're like, Yeah, I mean, look, Live Live is. it's been a very good thing for the PGA tour. I mean, a very, very good thing. And I I think that, you know, you go back to Augusta and you think about it and and there's a, there's a saying that in the, I'm in the investment management business now. And, and we have a saying that you get the investors you deserve. And I think that that's, that's Augusta national and, you know, they, they get the fans and they get, or the patrons that they deserve and they get the accolades that they deserve. And, and, and the, their prestige is, is really, really well-deserved because they, they do everything there is to do to not commercialize it. But at the same time, it's very commercialized. I mean, you know, you've got that ubiquitous Masters logo everywhere and it's fantastic. But they just make everything just better. And it's uh, it's it's you, you can't admire that enough. Mm-hmm.
1: So getting to the recent changes, obviously, uh, yeah. a big, big announcement uh, this this uh, two weeks ago now, a week and a half ago where we will have these new designated events, effectively 70 to 78 players. They're saying I have some skepticism. I feel like that's just going to quickly morph into more and more players as, as they hand out, you know, as these exemptions grow and there's some, some questions I have with like injured major medicals, all these things, but 70 to 78 players, right. no cut events effectively. Like, you know what it is guaranteed money for these guys and yeah. there, they will be, you know, on a cadence of, kind of two elevated events so it's the majors and then a a select number with with the players the majors and the players and then a select number of designated events on a yearly basis what are your thoughts on the recent changes
0: well i mean i, I understand why they're there but you know you have you have two things going on number one you've got as, as we alluded to earlier you've got the calendar years change So now you have January to September. And I think the easiest thing to do is just to think about it in raw numbers, right? You've gone from roughly 39 weeks or 30, maybe 40 weeks to 34 weeks in a season or 30. Actually, there's going to be 32 weeks before the playoffs, I think. Something like that. Um, So you're eight eight tournaments fewer. And then you have, you've reduced, because WGC is basically, There's one, and most of them went away, call it three years ago, when FedEx became a playoff event. So that reduced the WGCs by one. So you've got um, eight events that are reduced fields when there used to be basically one in Austin that we're going to have next week. Um, So you have a combination of fewer weeks to, to keep your playing status, and then you have... More tournaments that have reduced fields. And I, I think that that's the, that's the thing that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out and, and whether or not that is, that is what it should be. I mean, eight divided by 32 is, is, is 25. Um, is that too many where you have 25? And I read that yesterday the points list has not been given out, but I've said that the, I read that you're going to get 700 points if you win one of these elevated events. It's 500 for a normal event. We don't know if there's going to be opposite field events, which there probably will be. I would assume we don't know what's going to qualify for the players' championship. Whether that's still going to be 144 players, presumably it will. Um, so you have 19. If you're if you're a guy that finishes 71 on the points list, so yeah, 71 on the points list, you're going to be able to get in 19 events, regular field events, and then four opposite field events. So you're going to play 23 events is what you're going to be able to get into. Now, if you qualify for the PGA Championship, if you qualify for the U.S. Open Masters or Open Championship, okay, that's that's a bonus. But you're in 23 events. So 23 out of 24, 34 or 32, whatever that is, events you're in. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think when you look at those from a from a number standpoint, and I haven't whiteboarded, you know, what is the 10 guys on the European tour are they going to come in? What, what is their status? You know, we don't know a lot of things. It's all kind of like conjecture right now. But I think that you, know, you you can talk to the best players in the world saying, hey, look, we're going to create all these opportunities, uh, 20, $20 to $25 million events. But the little guy is the guy that you're, to, you're, you're like, holy cow. Now, they're, they're, they've kind of, some of them have a stiff upper lip right now, but they're also wondering, and their wives are especially wondering, what, what does this mean? And in my opinion, it probably means that everybody's career is going to get shorter. Um, you're going to get more of an athletic career. And, and that means that you're going to make a lot of money for a short period of time. And then it's going to kind of, you know, it's going to have a long tail to it. Hopefully it has a long tail. But I think these guys, I think these guys are going to have shorter and shorter careers going forward, or at least shorter careers on the PGA Tour.
1: What makes you think that just, just like from like a basic level? Like in, in, like what, what led you to that conclusion?
0: Well, I think that, um, look, the, the young guys, it's just pure math, right? When I got on tour, there was five guys younger than 25. That was 1999. Now there's you know, 25. 25 isn't old, but I mean, Tom, Kim will, Tom Kim will have five years under his belt uh, when he's 25 and you know i think there was 30 there were 30 or 34 foreign born players on the pga tour now there's a lot more although you know w- we'll see with the world golf ranking i mean you know you're you're not going to be able to get it to be a top 50 player if you're on the japanese tour or the asian tour that even maybe the dp world tour um it's going to be very difficult to rise up so i i, I don't know if that will stop the the international flow. I hope not. Cause that's what made, that's what made the PGA tour really, really good is the international players. But I, I just think that as you get younger and younger and younger, as the money gets higher and higher and higher, you're going to have a better athlete and better athlete, better athlete. I mean, I look at these college players and, and they're all in great shape. They're all built, you know, they're six foot one and above. And if they're not six foot one and above, they got swing speeds of 120 miles an hour. And that, that's just, you're just going to have more. More guys coming in and out, I think.
1: Well, at the bottom, th- any, any sport, and obviously, golf has been be- very distance focused, and distance is created by speed, right? Any sport that becomes yeah. very speed centric becomes younger. Look at the NFL. I mean, that's the most speed centric yeah. sport in, in the world. And, you know, if you're fast, there's going to be a place for you in the NFL. And what happens when it's a fast man's game? it gets to be like careers get shorter and they get younger and i think that's that's spot on Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Club Champion. They are back for another year. Club Champion is uh is the place that I've gone to get my golf clubs for basically, you know, the vast majority of my life now. I started when they were a upstart with uh, you know, working out of their garage in Chicago, uh, and now they are across the country. This is the place to go get fit. They will get you dialed in. What I love is about club champion is you go in there you might have like some feelings about what clubs you want you see a, a you know a club in your friend's bag and you think oh i want those you go in there and you're going to get the clubs that are best for you they have i think it's over 50,000 hittable combinations between shafts and club heads in there so what you're going to do you're going to run through when you get a fitting all these different combinations and find what is truly the best driver the best Away wood the best hybrid best set of irons for you so really good promo from them for us this year uh they're bumping it up the code is still fried egg and now you get 50 percent off a of club fitting with a club purchase so that's not inconsequential you know you're saving some good dough 50 percent off your club fitting with a club purchase if you go and book a fitting with uh club champion use the promo code fried egg uh they have all the new brands in store ready to demo now all the new the tailor-made the the Callaways, everything the Titleist. so thank you to club champion and now back to joe ogilvy How do you feel about the the limited fields and the no cut aspect of these these events?
0: I think it's interesting. Um, you, it, it's not a whole lot different, right? I mean, I, I think you know, ten years ago, we go back when there was four WGCs. You know, the best players in the world, their top fifty players in the world, played the four WGCs, and they usually played the Memorial at Jack's Place, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, or Arnold's Place. Most played the LA Open, which is now the Genesis. It was the Nissan back then, um, and very few guys get the Century. So, if you look at that, it, it's not—it's a different wrapper, and we're we're marketing it different with these elevated events. The only difference is Jack's tournament was 120, Arnold's tournament was 120, Genesis was 120 or 132. You also had the the Heritage, which was always an imitational. You had Colonial, which is always an Invitational. So, you had 120 man fields. And you also had, you know, it was top seventy to get in the invitationals. So there was always PJ Tour always had a carrot out there for the players. Like you play well, you're going to get in these events. You play, you know, if, if you play well during the season, there was also a points list or a money list that you could possibly get in those events. It's just going to be more closed. And when you take a hundred twenty man field down to seventy five it's going to be really interesting. And I I think there's going to be some, some of the players that maybe you're trying to, you know, keep on tour, keep, you know, they might find themselves on the, on the, on the outside looking in and it's going to be interesting. I mean, I was asked if a, if a sponsor came up to me and said, okay, here's, here's $40 million. How are you going to go spend it? You know, I'd probably spend it on a designated event. And, but I would probably try to have influence to make my designated event different. And that difference would be a hundred player field or a 120 man field and have a cut. I mean, I just, I just think that eight, eight designated events that are all going to look more or less the same on different courses. You know, I don't know. We're going to have, we're going to have 34 weeks of 72 whole events next year. And I I don't know how, I don't know how that's, I don't know how you
1: differentiate yourself. Is it, that I think is a, like a core thing with the tour, and and I think this is with just like any large entity corporation, is the uh, idea of trying to make things predictable, and make the week in week out like there. You're, if you're running a big company, what you're trying to do is become more efficient, and at its core, yeah. what happens with the tour is they take all these events that have their unique identity, and they over time they kind of become the same, and that's like. It's just a natural thing because they're trying to become more efficient. It's like, well, if this is, if we set it up the exact same way, we can, you know, operate against that more efficiently. Right. So, and that's like kind of like what cuts against what makes golf tournaments great is their individual identity. And I think that's just like, I don't think anybody's maliciously out there trying to like strip away identities, but. That's the byproduct of a big company that's trying to become more profitable, more, you know, you know, everybody's trying to be more efficient. Right. And that's what ends up happening is that you lose the identity. And I think, you know, everybody can look at it and say, hey, we're not changing. We're we're not. Everything's going to be great. If you look at the cut, there's the cut happens before the event, but you are taking away a shred of like the legacy of golf when you remove a cut for the best players in the world, the majority of the weeks that they're going to play.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I I, I do think I'm not in the camp that there shouldn't be no cut events. I mean, I think that, you know, the WGCs, the century that those were, those were no cut events for the longest time. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't mind the idea and I'm actually, I'm actually a proponent of the idea that you should have um, no cut events. And, you know, I can make an argument that maybe you shouldn't have seventy in those no cut events. Maybe you should have fifty. Maybe maybe the maybe the the second tournament in the FedEx Cup should be so special that you know you've got fifty guys there and maybe you have five more guys there. I mean, you know, you you can. There's no magic number to seventy and seventy eight in no cut events, but I do think that there's a point where the designated events that do you need eight where you have no cut and seventy to seventy eight. I think that's a little. That's a bridge too far, especially when you've gone from, you know, like I said, you've gone from probably close to forty weeks down to thirty-two or thirty-four, whatever we are before the FedEx Cup playoffs. Because now you, now it's a point. I mean, you know, you're if twenty-five to, well, actually, it's more than that because you've got the players and you've got the majors. So you have, you've got such a massive amount of points for the top fifty or the top 70, however they get in this, these fields that the other guys are playing. I mean, they're, they are really behind the eight ball from the, from the get go. Um, And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the case, but it'll be, my gut is that those will, the points list will be tweaked and the, the designated events will probably not, well, they might all be designated events. There still might be eight, but those field sizes will be, will be changed in the coming years. I mean, that's almost a, I would place a pretty large bet on that.
1: That's, you know, it's funny. I I, Your tweets, obviously, about the subject got me thinking that way. And then when Jay Monahan talked yesterday, he he like he didn't. You could tell he wanted to say, like, listen, like, we're trying this. It's probably going to change. You know, like the reality is, like, it's so hard to nail a model like that right out of the gate. I mean, you look at any kind of company that's trying to model out that's going out to fundraise any company that's modeling out their revenues for the next five years like you're going to be wrong you're going to be spot on with certain things you're going to be wrong like I I heard that live like you know somebody that saw a deck like they nailed player acquisition but their revenues are like completely off like they missed the boat on that and like that's the hard thing with projecting like all these things are projecting and until you see it play out it's like kind of it's it's somewhat of a hopeless pursuit to nail it, right? Until you have real, real things to work off of.
0: Yeah. I mean, I see models all the time now and I, I, I kind of laugh at them because they're, um, I mean, I've never seen a model that's actually, you know, in year three, even anywhere near what they, what, what they projected. So it's almost unfair to think the PGA tour is going to get their model right, uh, because it's got no chance, but they can, you know, they will march that out and they'll say they did a thousand simulations and all that other kind of stuff. But I, I don't think when you've had so many all simulations and all models are based on past, and when you've changed so much in one year from a world golf ranking, I, I go back to the world golf ranking. I mean that is a big change on 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 that deal, and you know the top fifty in the world are, are going to be U.S. centric. They're not going to be rest of the world centric because of the way the, the, that model has changed. Um, you just can't you just can't do it, and it's an unfair for us to think that they can mm-hmm. um, because it can't.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've got a question. I've, I've got this um, long-standing kind of theory and I, I don't think it's necessarily a theory, but the, you know, when I hear them talk about like the, the struggle of filling non-designated fields, if they expand the field size and the designated events or elevated events, I feel like it should just be called elevated. It makes more sense. Um, but anyways, why is it that the PGA tour, like how are we not using the corn Ferry tour more to fill fields when like you can make an argument. And I think it's like proving true every year that like 10 of the best hundred players in the world are on the corn fairy tour at a given time. How is that? Yeah. How do these tours not work together? And if you're worried about filling non-designated fields, isn't the answer just to, give more corn fairy tour players cards?
0: Well, if you look at the Puerto Rico tournament that happened last week, I mean, there's guys that can't get in the champions tour event that can get into a PJ tour event. Yes. Um, Neil there's guys, there's guys that are not using, um, I mean, Cole hammer is a perfect example. Can't go play. Well, he got in, he got into, to Arnold Palmer, but there's, there's great players on the corn fairy event that, 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 that didn't want to go play because possibly they'd use up as one of their seven sponsor exemptions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, by the way, the DP tour, I did this math last year when I was, I mean, DP tour is really interesting to go run if you're, um, if you're creative because it's got a lot of potential, I think, may not have a lot of potential with the PGA tour, but you know, an opposite field event, I think that tournament in Puerto Rico, if you take out tournaments that are in, Great Britain, Ireland, Scotland, and the Middle East. I think that Puerto Rico event would have been a top five purse on the on the DP World Tour. We have a partnership. Apparently, um, why why aren't the best players in the DP Tour World Tour not playing in Puerto Rico? You know, I I, I think I may have been in that tournament at Puerto Rico if I would have if I would have <laughs> gone down and, and flown down there. And and you know, look, I. I understand if you if you are a member of the PGA tour you have I understand the argument that you have every right to play but you know Joe Montana doesn't have I mean he was a lot better football player than 99% of the players in the NFL that I've ever, ever lived and he he's not going to go play for the Raiders or the or, or whatever and so I I don't know. I think there's a way to tweak it and I think you're going to tick guys off. I mean, I made the point, I'm like, look, give, give the veteran members a, a carrot and I don't know how much this costs, but it can't cost more than five or six million bucks. I, I would think is that you just give them healthcare, you know, give them, an, let them in the healthcare subsidy. If they played, you know, five years on the PGA tour or, or 15 cuts a year for five years out of 10 and they're eligible to be fully vested members in the pension. I mean, or veteran members. 150 cuts are a win. Let them let let them get a subsidy, but but um, cut back your fields in those opposite field events, or or find another structure that works. Because you know, while I think that Neil Lancaster has every right, I mean, I'd rather have Neil play in the Champions Tour where he's mm-hmm. eligible. I'd rather have great Corn Fairy Tour players fill those fields and give them a give them an option. I mean, Ashgate. Buddy who, who, who finished second there was, is a corn ferry tour member. So, you know, there's, there's ways to, there's ways to do that. And I think it's a scheduling, I think it's a scheduling snafu.
1: The interesting thing is like what we're talking about, like this whole discussion, the tour is going to get younger. Careers are going to get shorter. These yeah. events, the events are going to kind of separate the tours more and more. This is a problem that's going to get bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, no, it will. Yeah, it, it, it well, and I think I think what ultimately, you know, I was a guy who benefited. My my one win was opposite the British Open. So, I mean, I I I am very sympathetic to to those tournaments. Um, I mean, I love the Reno event, the Barracuda. I don't know if it's still called the Barracuda or not, but um, you know, I, I I do think that when you're looking at, you know, I think your question originally was what are, the, what, are what are the what are the tournaments opposite, not opposite. What are the tournaments that aren't designated? how are they going to fill fields and, and and will they make i i don't know i don't know eligibility for next year like i i don't i know if you're 71st on the points list you're not in the playoffs and you're going to go to fall and it's the fall is going to basically give you access to the next year but i i i guess it's 125 you know originally i think they were going to try to go down to 110 on the fully exempt basis Uh, But I I don't know those answers, and so I don't I don't know if those field sizes are going to be reduced. I don't know if um, you know you can make an argument that if there was a 156 field, maybe it should be 142 and 132, and then if you do that, I would make an argument that you you go invest in 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 DP World Tour purses and Corn Ferry Tour purses, and if you truly have a partnership with a DP Tour. Maybe the guys that, um, if you're going to cut down fields, maybe you know, maybe DP Tour is an option. So for some people, they don't want to travel. But I think, it, I think if you're truly going to have a partnership, that, would be, that should be an option, and they should explore that.
1: Yeah, that's the, the thing, right? You're, I think what golf fans have wanted is more elite play at the PGA Tour level, like the more recognizable names and more events. And I think we're getting that, which is a huge step but the the downstream effects of that is like all of these like if the if the p g a tour like PGAA tour is getting smaller, then these other tours are the ones that have to kind of figure out how they work together along with these the the smaller events you know it's a that's and I think obviously these are like you know we're looking at like an entire restructuring of a tour, which is like a very big deal and I think like the answers at the top are figured out, but like, there are so many questions I have is like, what happens if you're a designated event player and you get hurt? Do you come back a year later and you're in all the designated events? And if there's three of them, that's going to throw off field sizes, right?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, you know, that's the, (laughs) the old saying devils in the details. I think that that's, that's all going to be worked out or that's going to try to be worked out. And, you know, as I understand it, this is, um, when, when Tiger flew up to Delaware, it was all kind of, they, they kind of had settled on something and they, that all changed when Tiger got up to Delaware and they, they did a, I don't want to say a 180, but probably a 45 degree angle pivot. And, um, I think they're still trying to figure that out. And I think that's also why I think they left in these designated events, you get four sponsor exemptions, but there has to be, it has to be buttoned up those sponsor exemptions. There's some pretty tight parameters, I mean, you just can't go go give you know um Joe Ogilvy a sponsor exemption just because he's a nice guy you gotta he's gotta have some playing ability over the last eighteen months or two years or something like that, and so you know hopefully hopefully they get that right but I'm, i again, I think it's a wait and see, and we'll we'll tweak as needed.
1: just changing the topic a little bit. there's a lot of rumors going around about potentially some some live players that are you know, poking around at their potential return. And obviously who knows like what the lifespan of live in general is, right? If you were in charge, how would you handle live players coming back to the tour? What would be your uh, thoughts on reintegrating some of the big names that might've left? Yeah. So let's,
0: let's say they are, um, they've already won. They, when they left were top, Fifty players in the world, they have eligibility. They have, um, you know, Dustin Johnson's technically a lifetime member. I think he's won over 20, 20 times. You know, it might. I, I don't. It's a great question. I, I think there has to be an avenue back. I mean, when when they first started, and when Liv first came on, I said, of, "Of of course they're going to be invited back eventually, or maybe not invited back, but there's there's a there will be a pathway for them back." I think Jay said that they were going to be permanently banned, which was you knew that was not even on the table. And so I don't know, maybe it's one of those things where if you want to full, if you want to be fully exempt, you got to use your lifetime earnings type of thing. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, like you would, if you lost your card, maybe you have to do a couple different things. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's going to be a, a pathway for those guys back. Um, PJ tour would be crazy not to, but I, I don't, I don't know the pathway. I mean, that will be something that the policy board will probably have to figure out. Um, I'm sure I'm sure the commissioner will, will have his thoughts and they'll you know, they'll put together a presentation. But the guys eventually it'll be what'll be really interesting is if if in three years, I think most of those deals were were four to five years, in three to four years is the first guys are no longer under contract. How's that how that works out? you know um but i do think that they'll be back and i do think that they'll be um look i think time heals all wounds and i think it'll be i don't think it'll be that that hard to get them back
1: either it's such a tricky situation because if you just allow them to come right back then it's like all all the guys that didn't go and get that big upfront payment are like well what did i get for being loyal to the tour you know if these guys just get to come right back one of the things i wonder is like then you start to play the game hey if you make them go re-earn their card at q school how many of them actually get back is a really interesting thought experiment i think like you know the uber talented people are would but like i don't know if some of these guys would want to go do that and really put themselves through getting back and then now the added thing is getting back not just getting back but getting into the elevated event tier
0: yeah I, I mean look I think that the um the non-elevated event tournaments will, would welcome uh, a Bryson DeChambeau or a Brooks Kepka or a Dustin Johnson or a you know uh Kevin nah who who played in Las Vegas and won in Las Vegas, and and I, I think they would. I think that there was a pathway back from a sponsor exemption standpoint, and then you, um, and then once they're back and they're you know they've done their penance or whatever they did, um, they, a lot of them have lifetime earnings, and they could use their lifetime earnings to be a fully exempt member of the tour the following year or, or whatever. But I think that they'll figure that out. I mean, I, I'm not that worried. It, that that'll get done if it ever comes to that. And I think the first time it comes to that is it probably in year four, or year five of live, assuming it's still there when guys are like, okay, I've done this. Do I want back and will live pay, you know, we'll live give them a guarantee again. My gut is that was a one-time thing and they spent a lot more than they thought they were going to spend. So and with the PGA tour doing all that they've done, in terms of purses and 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 designated events and things like that, I mean, I think that um, a lot of guys will will second guess whether they stay with Live or or if they go or if they go back to the tour. But I do think I, th- I think there'll be a, I think there'll be an avenue.
1: One of the things you talked about with um with designated events that I, I just wanted to hit on before we went. I know you live in Austin and uh, you yeah. talked about how if you were if you were in charge of a if you were a sponsor and you said I'm going to make a unique designated event is what I'm going to sponsor. We're obviously one of them this year is the match play. And this looks like the end of the road for the match play for at least a little while. Yeah. what? what I know that you've got some insight into the match play in general, but like, has that, it just feels like a clunky fit. It feels like the, the tour just doesn't want to have a match play event, even though it's unique and like a something tied to the game. Why, why hasn't the match play ever been embraced by the PGA Tour? I think,
0: well, the history was before it was in Austin, it was a money loser. I mean, I think it lost in San Francisco, I think it lost $5 million. The one year it was in San Francisco. In Tucson, it lost a couple million dollars. Um, I think they started hating it in Austin because it was so successful that they couldn't get their arms around it. They're like, this can't be right. The numbers, the numbers, are, the numbers can't be right. I mean, they've, they're going to exceed budget this year they're going to throw off a lot of money to the PGA tour and the players. And um, maybe, maybe it's an embarrassment of riches. I don't know, but it's, um, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, this is a tournament that's only had success the eight years that it's been here. Austin Country Club, while well, they had a little, you know, there's been a little, as, as every country club would be. I mean, having a PJ Tour tournament, I mean, they they the membership does not get the golf course for four weeks, and they happen to be four of the really good weeks in Austin. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely some pains there, but I don't know, you know, having 34 weeks of 72-hole stroke play events, you know, I, I think a match play format kind of fits pretty well. Um, and you know, I think the tour also, they couldn't get their arms around the Saturday and Sunday, the ratings on, on Saturday were, were pretty decent. Sunday was always terrible. Um, because you only have, you know, you only have two matches and that's, I mean, that's not very hard to solve. If you're me, you just say, okay, instead of starting on Wednesday, we're going to start on Thursday and we're going to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday be the, you Know the knockout matches, and then we're going to have um Sunday be where we've got 16 eight groups, it's a little more exciting. And then on Monday, which is a dead day for golf, you you just have you know the four matches, and that's pretty easy. I mean, put put uh Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in there, um, maybe maybe the 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 prior ticket, eliminate the the consolation match, pay the guys their money, and um, you know, make it kind of a fun thing, but it's. It was not a hard problem to solve, but the PGA Tour always had, they just had a, an, an issue solving it. And I don't know if that was a network thing or what, but it it made a lot of sense to to move it, in my opinion.
1: Is it is there something just about match play that like rubs? It seems like it cuts against the cloth of everything the tour is like. You know, like we play stroke play. We it's constantly measuring. Is there was there a ever an attitude of like, well, this guy could shoot seventy five three times and win, I mean, not really, he couldn't really do that, but like he could play pretty lousy and get into the round of 16. I could play unbelievable and not get in, you know?
0: Yeah. And and I, I think the, um, I I never really heard that. I I definitely heard the players kind of, kind of bellyache on, on, on this format in the sense that, you know, if they, they're like, look, if I lose, I want to lose. I don't want to play two more days. And, you know, I, I make the argument that, look, we're one big happy family and it keeps everybody in it for three days. And that's kind of nice for, for everybody. But no, I think that, um, I think the match play is, it's something that golf, um, I mean, it's in the history of golf. you know, you can make an argument that more people should play match play than stroke play, especially beginners, because it's, it's kind of a nice way to play. But yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, obviously the, the, the tours build on 72 whole stroke play events, but, um, I, I think that the fans like match play.
1: But what of I always fixes? I thought would just be play off all of the last eight spots, right? So then your final day, you have these, you have the seven eight match, right? And that yeah. those guys have played really well all week, but they're playing for you know, you know, fifty hundred thousand dollars, something like that. They're they're playing for their private flight home, effectively. You know, and like that's inter- it'll be it'll be interesting. You'll have enough matches. Like the reality, like to me, the best one of the best days of golf TV is the round of sixteen in the match play. Yeah, you got guys that are playing great, and they square off, and you see like rivalries brew. I mean, like we would never have gotten the Kucher Sergio kerfuffle. Like you think about the, right. uh, the Keegan Bradley Miguel Angel Jimenez. Like the some of the best moments of like. You know, everybody always wants these rivalries. This is the vet, This is the type of format of golf that actually creates rivalries, and so we're getting rid of it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, no, and I mean, look, the Ryder Cup is great because it's match play. The Presidents' Cup was, I mean, the the great thing about match play is you, you feel like there's a sense that everybody's always in it mm-hmm. somehow. I mean, um, I mean, even the Presidents' Cup this year, the U.S. I mean, it looked like the internationals. We're going to snatch defeat or snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, and the opposite for the Americans. But you know, it obviously. It went, went, but it, but match play always it seems to always give you hope, right? I mean, it's it's um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I, I think it's a great format, and I think Austin Country Club in general is a very good match play course. I don't think it, it doesn't work as a stroke play course, but it really shows that from match play course it's it's really it's it's really kind of brilliant actually i think pete die courses in general are better situated for match play and not stroke play i mean you know um that they're just not great stroke play event courses
1: i mean they make pros make tough decisions is what it does and and it's easier to easier to make those tough decisions in match play when the consequences of an eight aren't as looming yeah like you know it's like match play you're just trying to beat a guy. You're not, you know, in stroke play, it's almost like you're building a house, right? And you have to make sure, like, you don't have any big big missteps along the way. The, I, I was thinking, like, you know, if, if you could have carte blanche, You know, and obviously the players is the players, but like if the tour championship was match play at TPC Sawgrass at the end of the year and just say it wasn't in August, nobody wants to go to Jacksonville in August. Right, Right. (laughs) But like if you if you had that course hosting the finishing tournament of the PGA Tour season, you have a stroke play of NRA there. Everybody knows it. And you get to watch match play with the, say, 16 best guys on the PGA Tour playing for the best player of the year to me, that would be like that. It makes too much sense that like, if I was, if I was the commissioner for a day, that's what I would, I would do is like, okay, you know, we're going to make the tour championship, a match play. Like we're going to play out every single spot so that we, we don't lose like ratings as we move on in the tournament. There's still matches out there, but we're going to do it at, at our venue, our iconic venue that we own TPC Sawgrass. And we're going to have this. This is the way we're going to end the season. That's the way I would do it. I read that you were you wanted at one point in your life. You said that you wanted to be the commissioner. Um, so I'm curious.
0: <laughs> curious what I would do that.
1: You I'm know, curious, well, um, I, not not about why you do that. I'm curious what you would change about the professional game if you were if you had if you were the authoritative dictator of of the PGA tour. What would be the one change you'd make right now
0: well that, that that's that's interesting, so i I think that in this new world, and let let's say you know a lot of people say that live's not going to be around you know i there, I think there's a good chance that live is around. It may not be around in this current form, but i I do think that look they're going they're going someone's going to invest in international golf, and it's probably going to be them or at least they're going to push somebody else to invest in international golf. So I think if live is around, I think it gives the PGA Tour some opportunity to, you know, probably invest a little bit more in the Corn Ferry tour. I would, even though this is my only win, I would, I would, I would kill the opposite field events. I would put all of that money that you're spending on opposite field events down to the corn Ferry tour. I probably even spent a little bit more money on the Canadian tour and the, and the other tours. I would, um, you know, I would cut the fully exempt members down to 110 players um, to 115. And, you know, I would release, I'd, I'd make a run. I'd try to make this the, because, you know, to our point earlier, I mean, every single sports organization dreams about having a PGA Tour type season, right? I mean, the, the middle of the year is boring in every other sport. NFL, NFL is just a whole different ballgame. But it's boring except the PGA Tour because you have, you have the four majors and you have the Players' Championship. You have these designated events. We'll see how they are. I, I'm gonna make an argument that the designated events are, are probably gonna be tweaked and tweaked and tweaked. Um they're not gonna get those right. But it's really an interesting product and it's an an interesting thing. And you have this, you have these guys that are incredibly marketable, in my opinion. And they golf is just a golf is just a great game. So I, I think you have an opportunity to make this make this PGA tour truly an amazing you know what it's what it's what it's built to be um and live is giving you that opportunity but i think in order to do that you've got to give the other guys a bone in that 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 those secondary and third third tertiary guys you've got to invest in that corn fairy tour and you've got to give them everybody used to say you know i don't want these guys getting comfortable in the corn ferry tour well look, I think that tour is really, really good. And I think the players are really, really good on that tour. And so you've got to give them a chance to make some some, some decent money. But that, I think I, I would go full-fledged into that. I'd, I'd make the PGA Tour truly the best tour it could possibly be. I would move digital out of Jacksonville, Florida, and probably into Dallas or Austin. Um, you just can't get talent in Jacksonville like you can in, in these other places. And you know, I would I would invest a lot in, in the um, I would invest a whole lot of money in the presentation of the product. I would make I would make the platform of the PGA Tour as good as it could possibly be for the fan. And then I would go to every tournament director. I mean, the tournament directors. I mean, Jay Monahan has a fairly easy job. I mean, this is a very very easy business. The tournament directors have a, probably the hardest business of anyone. I mean, they're kind of the tip of the spear. So I would go to every tournament director and I would say like hey look how how can the PGA tour support you and make your life life better how can we make your fan experience better how can we get you on a better golf course if that's a problem i would go to some of these guys that are building these these wonderful golf courses now i mean we're kind of in a golden age i mean the fried egg you guys you kind of got your chops on on you know golf course architecture we're in the golden age of these guys that are building, you know, the Mike Kaisers of the world, there's a lot of independents that are building pretty interesting products right now, pretty interesting golf course. How can you, is there anything that, you know, you can kind of present that makes it makes a tournament differentiated? And you know, one thing I did learn, I did Fox for the US Open for a couple of times, and I did learn what's great to you and I, what's a great golf course to you and I, on TV it may not translate. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's really like Austin golf. We mentioned Austin golf club. I brought the PGA tour and Dell to Austin golf club to take a look at it for the match play in October. It would have made great sense, but in March, I mean, it looks like a muni.
1: It plays great. It plays great. It plays March. great. I mean, the,
0: the greens are amazing. I mean, Zach, Zach is our, 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 head, head greenskeeper out there. I mean, the greens I played the other day I and mean, they're like 14 and a half, 15 centimeters. It's, it's crazy how fast they are. But it would not present on TV like like Austin Country Club does. I mean, Austin Country Club, you've got water and you've got this wow factor, and at the Pennybacker Bridge, it really works. So, so that's the thing you've got to. There's there's a push and pull. I was one of these players that always liked classic golf courses, but you know, the fan and the and the TV, it always it there's a, there's a balance there because sometimes those classic golf courses just don't work as well on TV as, as they play for the professional.
1: Yeah. It's the venue things hard and you illuminated on it with the Austin country club is like giving up your course every year gets really tiring for members. Like, so one of the ways I kind of thought around it was like, you can't rely on annual hosts. The annual hosts like Riviera is a unicorn. That only yeah. exists like yeah. that situation only exists like one place in America. So you need to like build rotations. And I think like that's the way you have to look at an area and say, like, what are the areas of the country that we can go to four or five different courses over and, and only ask these people for one week every five years? And then also like you hit on it, the resorts like to me, like um, at, I had this thought after Royal Melbourne. Is like how cool, and you, we talked about Streamsong Song earlier. How cool would it be if, if Stream Song put together a composite course between the red and the blue, and that was a President's Cup in December? Like, I mean, yeah. that place would be, you know, that, how do we get something that uh, uh, comes close to Royal Melbourne? That is like going to Quail Hollow, like that ain't it. Like, we see that every year. All right. I, I've got enough Quail Hollow in my life. I mean, it's a it's a fine facility and a golf course. But like if you want to elevate events, like part of it is the venue, like venues do matter. Like we see it with this week's players, like the the TPC Sawgrass has elevated that event to a higher level. And obviously the event has helped elevate Sawgrass as well. But it's a it's a fascinating thing. I, I do love your your idea of investing in the product and investing in in your product goes down to. The Canada tour to the Latin America like those are guys that are going to make it up and and the more the better those tours are the better your long-term health as a as the PGA tour is because then you're going to keep getting the best players and that's the thing that has always drove me nuts is like you know if you look at the PGA tour as a country and these tours as states every state has a different currency it doesn't make any sense like if I win if I win three times or two times on the or three times on the corn Ferry tour and I get promoted to the PGA tour, I shouldn't go back to zero. If it's part of the season, like I should be, I should have some points. Like I shouldn't be just like not included in the FedEx cup. I just won three times. Like what, what is number 70 done that, uh, you know, like are they going to go down there and win three times? Right.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, it's in, and that is, that is a very tough, um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, you and I can go um, over to the Middle East and negotiate peace and we might, we might, we might come up with an easier thing to, to digest. But I, I think it's, it's, it, is, it is something to, that um, if you win three times, I mean, you do get the carrot of you're fully exempt and, and who knows what, what are these fall events going to look like? What are these things going to look like? And if you win three, three events, you prob- are you in the designated events?
1: If you're the Corn Fairy Tour player of the year, you should be in the designated events.
0: Hundred percent. And if you, if you're the, even if you're not, and you've won three times, you should be in those designated events. You know, I mean, I think that that is, you know, that's kind of table stakes. And and so I think that there's 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 opportunity there. I mean, you know, ultimately, what I think will happen, and this might be twenty years from now, but. Ultimately, I think you're going to have people that own these events and you're going to have ownership of the Austin market and ownership of the, the Charlotte market and ownership of. And, and so what that will do is that will solve the the one time golf course.
1: That's interesting because like it's, it's effectively the sports. Everybody's trying to figure out the team golf, this franchise concept and the franchises yeah. are actually the tournament.
0: Yeah, that that's going to happen. I mean, it, it'll they're they're going to have to change their their tax structure and everything else. But I, I think that ultimately that's where we'll get. You know, and I I think that that was my. I mean, when I was on the board, you know, I I, I told Tim Fitcham, I'm like, look, we we got to buy the PGA Championship or or buy the Ryder Cup, one or the other, and we'll we'll pay five hundred million dollars. That was some five hundred million dollars, was a lot of money. And he looked at me like I had four heads. But I mean. Those tournaments, if you look at it, like I would pay, I would pay five billion dollars for the match for the Masters, maybe six, maybe six billion dollars. I would certainly play more for the Masters than I would the Milwaukee Bucks, and that, I think that's the latest basketball team that gets sold. But if you think about these things in in terms of you know how much they're worth, I mean, you know, when the live thing was going on, and we we're talking about the President's Cup, I mean, the President's Cup, I would pay my gosh, prior to live, I would, I would have paid close to a billion dollars for it because I think it's worth that much. And now without live and, and, and without, you know, live has a lot of the best international players. You've you've kind of destroyed a lot of value in that if if live players are not eligible, same thing with the, with the players championship. I mean, when I think of these things as businesses and small business, each tournament's a small business, some are bigger businesses than others, but if, if I'm gonna value a tournament um based on the business and the profits it can change and the and the revenue and what it throws off for, for things, that's how I think about it. I mean the players' championship's probably worth, you know, it's probably worth a billion plus, you know, revenue and how much they can make and everything else the TV if they own the TV rights, right? Matt, it's it's hard to do this because you've got a you've got a um you know, you've got a, a bunch of tournaments in the PGA Tour. They don't have their own television rights deals, but you know, the, you can put you can put a valuation on the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, the Masters, the PGA Championship, and the Ryder Cup pretty easy, and, and they would be worth a
1: lot of money. Think about like selling to cities, like the idea, like the Chicago. That we this is our Chicago tour stop, and like you're going you know, like these cities would embrace it. Like the, it's funny because like they don't go to New York or. Chicago or New York,
0: Chicago, Boston.
1: I mean, yeah, those would be the three probably the three of the most valuable franchises if you made it if you went to this model. Like, those would be three of the city's most valu- valuable franchises if you went to a tournament franchise model. Yeah.
0: And, and well, I mean, you'd have you would have DC, Chicago, New York, probably two of them. Um, Miami, Boston, Miami, certainly. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things here that you could do and, and the tour will get there. They, they will, they will, they will ultimately do that. There is, I have, I have zero doubt in my mind.
1: You build your own venue effectively. Yeah. Like you don't have to yeah. go to clubs because it would be just like a stadium.
0: And, and the greatest thing about this, a stadium is a, a golf stadium. Um, it's the only thing that you build that the public can actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. And play on, right? I mean, you, you look at all these football stadiums around. I mean, sometimes they have concerts or whatever, but I mean, the vast majority of the time, I mean, I, we 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 see that 105,000 people at Darrell K Royal Stadium here in Austin, Texas, and it's probably used 15 times a year. You know, I mean, a golf course you build it, it's cheaper. Um, you know, there and there's a lot of public land. I mean, you you know, you think about if I owned the new york market you could beth page would not be a bad venue it's a public you know it's a public facility you could you could you know the owner could could invest in it take it off the public's hands from a from a maintenance standpoint all that kind of stuff and um it, it'd be interesting i mean i i i think the tour gets there um it'll take a while but they'll get there eventually
1: yeah i i mean then all of a sudden the events have i think everybody's always searching like there's there's seven events on the PGA Tour, maybe, that have like really good identities, strong identities. Yeah. And the, the crux of every other one is how do, we, how do we create an identity for this event? And if the, each individual event was like very incentivized to have their identity, they would do it in a variety of ways. And the, that model would do that. It's a, that's, that's fast. I never thought about that. It's a, it's a good idea.
0: Every, every now and again,
1: <laughs> every now and it's, again, uh, I have one. The uh, that hopefully you know, I, I think I think four years ago you would have said where we are today would take ten fifteen years to get to. Um, a-
0: abs- absolutely, it, prior to live, you couldn't. It was going to be really really difficult to get to where we are today, but live made it possible to completely rethink a lot of different things and. In the absence of competition, it's, it's really hard to change, obviously, you must, but you know when you, when you have competition all of a sudden, you, you can change, and changes change is warranted and change is needed. but um, it, 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 live was a gift to the PGA Tour. I mean it was it was an absolute gift, and you know I think that they'll be better because of it.
1: All right. Well, hey, I've already taken too much of your time. That last question I thought was going to be, you know, two two minute throwaway question, <laughs> and and here I've I've got my mind racing as to uh, the different cities and, and franchises model of uh, of golf. So I appreciate it. Uh, people can find you on Twitter. Uh, you're there. It's a good follow. You don't, what I like about you is you you don't put a lot of shots up, but the shots are really good when they go up
0: (laughs) shots on goal. High percentage. (laughs) Hopefully anyway.
1: (laughs) you're you're getting them in the flow of the offense. It's not a, you're not, you're not coming down the court and just chucking.
0: You know what? I chuck a lot, but the good news is I hit the delete button before I send.
1: <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, well. th- thanks so much, and uh, we'll have to have you back on uh, for for you know more more creative thoughts here. All right.
0: Hey, I look forward to it. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Really Joe. enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of the fried Egg podcast. And thank you to Matt Roosh's for the edit. Uh, as a quick reminder, we are in players week. We are going to have a, uh, we have a lot of content going out. There's a bunch in club TFE. If you're interested in signing up for our membership, uh, go to thefreedag. slash membership, and you can uh, you can go there. That's one hundred and twenty dollars a year. If you're just looking for free content, there's no better thing to sign up for than the Fried Egg newsletter. We have all of our contributors. You know, Brendan, me, Garrett, Will, Meg, writing in there regularly. We also, you know, Shane Bacon's writing in there weekly, as well as uh, Joseph Lamagna. So the Fried Egg newsletter is really humming. Um, it, a lot of different perspectives I, I think what we're trying to do is, is get a variety of perspectives and uh, you know cover golf a little bit different way and I think that's a, a good way to do it to sign up for that just go to the website thefriedegg.com thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week Garrett's unveiling his new weekly Tuesday show so that's going to be a new twist for this year Garrett will be every Tuesday I'll be doing interviews hopefully every Thursday I got to, uh, I guess, start lining them up and knocking them out. But that's the plan. As Garrett will have a show, I'll be doing interviews every Thursday. So, thank you, and we'll be back on uh, on Tuesday. Have a good weekend watching the Players Championship.